Welcome to the Impact Sessions, a business podcast hosted by me, Nick Bramley, CEO and Director of Impact at Impactus Group. The Impact Sessions brings you weekly insights and experiences from some of my most valued, trusted and influential business contacts across a range of current, interesting and hopefully thought-provoking subjects designed to give you some practical tips and ideas to drive continued success in your business. On this episode of the Impact Sessions, I'm interviewing Lorna Feeney. Lorna's talking about all things to do with mental health and why mental health is the responsibility of everyone. Lorna shares some fascinating insights into how mental health is the same as physical health and needs a plan of action to make sure people are maximising their awareness. It's a great podcast. Enjoy. So this morning, I'm delighted to have as my guest Lorna Feeney. Lorna's Head of Mental Health Risk at Marsh Risk Consultancy and Marsh McLennan Companies. Now, um, the reason I've invited Lorna on, uh, not only is, is mental health awareness, mental health first aid, a, a massive and current subject, but actually, I see Lorna everywhere as a, an advocate for this. She's very strong on social media. Uh, she's highly recommended. She posts some really intuitive content. So I thought I'd invite her along and find out what the whole sort of uh, mental health um, agenda is. And, it, and and I know that, that she's really keen on being the fact that mental health is a responsibility of everyone. So uh, without further ado, Lorna Feeney, welcome to the Impact Sessions podcast. Thank you very much. And thank you very much for having me, Nick. Uh, all your podcasts are really interesting and I really do enjoy listening to them. Excellent. You'll be a valuable addition to these, no doubt whatsoever, Lorna. So I'm looking forward to this. So we're going to just go through a few questions and have a little chat about the whole kind of agenda piece. And, you know, as I say, just 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 see what, what your take on it. So we've entitled this, So What Is Mental Health Awareness Actually About? That's the title of the podcast. So I'd start with you. You're one of the most passionate advocates of the mental health awareness uh, agenda that I know. It's obviously in your DNA, so you've got that kind of passion and, and, and natural sort of instincts for it. Do you want to share with the audience how and why you have such a passion for this particular important subject? Where did it come from? Yeah, well, actually, it's a, a bit of a personal journey of mine. Um, ten years ago, I had um, a little girl, and um, unbeknown to me, I had a postnatal depression. Um they do say uh, to keep an eye on on ladies who have careers, um, mm. but uh, yes, I uh, went under the the net. Uh, I didn't realise I was suffering with postnatal depression, so I thought perhaps it was because I wasn't at work. Mm. So I cut my maternity uh, leave short by three months and went back to work. Mm. Then um, you have lots of different issues and challenging issues. Uh, having to uh, go out and meet clients and then make sure that your, your daughter's okay. Uh, my boss wasn't the uh, most, uh, well, she wasn't very um, empathetic, yeah. shall we say. And uh, her view was, um, it's not the business's fault that you've decided to have a child. Wow, okay. Yeah. Hang on, was this 1843 that this yeah, happened? Yeah, I know, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Wow. And uh, no, I mean, I, I worked for the business for 10 years and... Uh, and yeah, things started getting really tough, mm. trying to juggle. And uh, and then you feel a bit silly because, you know, everybody has children and they have jobs and they go to work. Um, but yeah, uh, when I had, had phone calls from uh, the uh, child minded to say, Emily's not very well, you need to go and pick her up. Can you pick her up? And, 
And then my boss was, well, you need to take your own time, make sure you make keep your holidays for if your child's that, that, uh, sick. <laughs> that, that can't be an uncommon set of circumstances, can it? That that, uh, And it's interesting that you said, you the first thing you said there, Alana, uh, was, you know, I didn't realise I had it. No, had no idea. Because there's a lot of people just, um, inverted commas, cope but are they coping and and the reality of that is potentially not so i didn't want to tread all over your sort of story but only i don't need you to share things that are too personal if it's uncomfortable yeah, either no. to be fair lord you know but it's clearly driven by an experience that you've had then isn't it absolutely and and for me um i felt um i mean i had all sorts of, of horrible thoughts going through my head I, I wasn't quite myself family and friends noticed but didn't know what to, to do but again everyone just assumed well you have a baby perhaps it's a late night trying to work um so everybody has that assumption that you know it's, it's to do with changing but and you'll be fine in the end yeah. kind of thing and and you know and i've had no history of mental health illness and i have to say and i'm quite ashamed to say it but again it's brought me on my journey i was very close-minded mm. um i had the perception and opinion of somebody who had depression was lazy like mm. we see on the tv yeah, yeah. Uh, i was a strong person i supported lots of friends um are able to help people as much as i can but then when i hit that that wall there was i felt as if i couldn't go to anybody but didn't know should i be having these horrible thoughts about you know well what would it be like to give my daughter away for adoption perhaps that would put um everything right and this and wow. and to be honest with you i really didn't enjoy the baby stage well that was because i was ill mm. so i went back to work and i think i was back at work for about six months and then i had a massive uh breakdown where i ended up um telling my boss to stick a job up her ass mm-hmm. that, that's something a lot of people who are listening to would probably yeah. go <laughs> feel empowered to either do or want to do or maybe you've done themselves absolutely and and i just got my coat and and I did have two colleagues and they were really worried about me because, again, I had a financial pressure. Mm. Uh, and, and it's not a woe me. It was just the circumstances. Um, but I couldn't afford to be at work, but I couldn't afford not to be at work yeah, with yeah. The, the amount of the fees for a child mind. So I was trying to do, I was constantly treading water. So when I when I walked out the door, one of my colleagues did run after me and said, oh, you can't do this. You can't do And I said, I, I, I can't do anything. You, well, you can't not do it, I guess, no. in some respects, because it's one or the other at that stage, isn't it? Absolutely. So I do remember um, walking out, and it was in the middle of Leeds, walking out in front of the bus and, and thinking, right, I could just jump in front. And that was a split second, snapshot second. But I looked into the bus driver's eyes and I thought, I can't even do that to you. And then I just felt pathetic because I couldn't even, you know, attempt to try and kill myself. Yeah. And then I thought, I've got a daughter. It was that I drank one of my friends and they said, you need to get to the doctors. Mm. Went to the doctors, sat there. And I think that's the first time that I just cried and mm. cried and cried. He then went through a list of, do you feel like this? Do you feel like that? Um, and I was saying, yeah, say no. And um, then I, uh, then the last question was, do you feel suicidal? And it was that, that I went off like a bottle of pot. Well, I can't even do that, can I? <laughs> Actually, I, I, I might do, I'm not even very good at uh, I can't uh, even do that. I just felt worthless. I just felt useless. He went, right, okay, but no you, problem. But, but you you'd had, you were in a successful job. You, yes, you just yes. You just had a, a, a little a little baby, yeah. you know, on the face of it. And this is the key with mental health awareness, isn't it? On the face of it. You probably had a lot of things that people were going, oh, wow, she's got everything going yeah. for her, you know, great job, you know, new kids, all that kind of thing. So it, it really is one of the, it's, it's that kind of hidden 
uh, issue, isn't it, that, 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 that people are coping with or not yeah. coping with but are not particularly or haven't been prepared to kind of share or invest in, really. So I'd like to take that right up to date, really, yeah, because yeah. I think mental health awareness as a business agenda seems to be have come from virtually nowhere mm. over, in my experience, maybe two, three years. You know, it wasn't an agenda item, it wasn't an issue yeah. two, three years ago. And now it's absolutely everywhere, as it should be. Um, why do you think it's becoming more mainstream as a discussion point? I think more and more people are, uh, we've got celebrities out there now who are coming out uh, and saying how their struggles are. Um, I think businesses are are really taking it serious now and having a look at absenteeism rates and what can they do, uh, stress levels. And for me, it's all about education. Now, uh, going back to, to my point when uh, I walked out the business, had my manager been um, trained to spot the signs, had I perhaps had an e-learning um, module for an hour, uh, to learn about mental health because I had no idea. I literally had to learn from rock bottom. Did you even think you had a mental health issue? Um, yeah, I, the doctor diagnosed me with clinical depression because I'd left it. But yeah, but before that, while you were struggling to cope, you wouldn't have necessarily thought, I've got a mental health issue. You just thought you were struggling to cope. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, I had no idea. But I mean, the three. The three main factors, uh, and you only have to have them for two weeks uh, of depression, is loss of joy in activities, constant sad low moods and lack of energy and tiredness. Now, if you have any of those, the same as when you start with a cold on the physical side mm. um, for two weeks, you have uh, mild depression. This is where you need to be perhaps going to your doctor. Now, it could be environmental depression or it could be a chemical imbalance depression. Mm. Um but you, you need to be going to your doctor and then perhaps if you've got an employee-assisted programme, ringing a counsellor just to have conversations mm. to be able to. I mean, we all know what to do with a common cold. In the office, everybody will say, you know... Well, yeah. actually, we all don't know. Everyone's got a remedy. That, you know, old wives' tales or whatever, you know, you sort of, you, you drink vinegar, you whatever, you, you go and to bed, you feed a fever. What, everyone's got a theory. However, you know, that's because it's common, isn't it? And, uh, and the very nature of the common cold is it's common, but mental health issues or mental health awareness is probably a lot more common than we, we would imagine, but isn't particularly or hasn't been particularly profiled, has it? No, and unfortunately there's a massive stigma with that. Is that still the case? Um, it's getting better. Mm. Um, it's, it's getting better. The, we are destigmatising, um, being able to raise awareness in businesses and just showing the benefits of being able to have clean language um, and actually talking about and being open. If you have been diagnosed with depression or anxiety, the same as if anyone has been diagnosed with diabetes or had a stroke or heart attack, mm. people are open to talk about it. Yeah. It should be the same. Physical and mental health are... Um, that there's a stigma between them two already okay. and we need to get to that place where, where they're both treated the same. So the stigma, is that with the individual who's being diagnosed and with the business environment in which they work? Is it, is it a two-sided stigma? The people who've got mental health issues, have a they feel sort of self-stigmatised, yep. uh, as mm -hmm. it were. <clears throat> yeah, so, so in my case, um, uh, when I had to go back to work... Um, it was really hard for me to go back because mm. I was self-stigmatising myself. And the only reason why I was able to accept help was uh, one of my really good friends was training to be a hypnotherapist at the time. Right. And, and I didn't believe in that at all. 
um, I didn't believe in the hip- hypnotherapy at all. And she said, look, you can be my subject matter. And I know you don't believe it. I need somebody who's skeptic about it. Yeah. And all she did was I just did exactly what she said. And uh, she got me to realize that my mind was ill. It's not me. Mm. And the only way I can get better is to by take the tablets. But also, um, you know, it's a recovery process. So uh, lots of things that I enjoy doing, walking, activities, eating better, mm. uh, because I was neglecting absolutely everything going. But it's no different to a physical uh, recuperation then, is it? You know, no. if you've had a an operation on your knee, you do physio, don't you? And you go for walks and you're strengthening exercises. Mm. So I guess in some respects, it's, it's no different. It's a different diagnosis and a different plan. Um so what does mental health awareness in the workplace day-to-day actually mean? What, what, are, what should people be thinking about? You know, if they say, oh, well, you know, we're embracing mental health awareness, what does that actually mean day-to-day? What does that, what does that look like in an organisation? So <clears> we <throat> spend a third of our waking life at work, mm. which is uh, not a great statistic. It's, sad. it's, it's a, a sad statistic, that lot. But this is why we have to make sure that we uh, really enjoy what we're doing. Yes. And also uh, that time spent is with a lot of colleagues. And, you know, sometimes we spend more time with our colleagues than we do our friends and, and family. Mm. So uh, by bringing awareness in, it's about getting people to be responsible for themselves, but actually knowing what mental health looks like mm-hmm. and actually know what their helpful coping mechanisms if they do feel themselves slipping and, and not being so good and knowing what to do. Um, the, also, the, the side of it as well, the awareness part is being able to uh, spot the signs of somebody who may be deteriorating. Now, I do often say... By putting mental health awareness courses on, doesn't mean to say we're going to make all of your workforce all positive mental health attitudes and everybody come in happy. You know, if you're working with, say, Bob, who's miserable and he is a miserable person, then we're not going to change his attitude. But Mm. what we want to do is we want to be able to pick up on any noticing behaviour, psychological or physical changes. If Bob Bob becomes more miserable. That's right. If his natural doing is miserable, then that's his Bob, isn't it? Absolutely. It doesn't mean to say he's got a mental health issue. And this is what I, he's just miserable, (laughs) you know, and there are negative, miserable people, negative Nancy's, what we say. Yeah. Um, there are those those people who, who are out there. And again, we're not there to change personalities, mm. but the key is is noticing that change. And again, I go back to mine 10 years ago. Had my boss noticed, she may have been able to signpost me earlier on to mm. the Employee Assisted Programme. Had I known about a mental health first aider and I'm not feeling quite well, but I wanted to speak to somebody who I didn't know, mm. um, I, I may have spoken to them. Again, it's all ifs and buts I may not have. Because at that time, there was no such thing as mental health no. first aid, was there? And there was probably no such thing as mental health awareness in the workplace Listen. 10 years ago. No. And like you said, with the physical, um, I mean, the analogy of the broken legs always there, but we all know if you break your leg, you go and you have it in plaster and then you have physio, physio and it takes a while for it to get back up to its strength, if mm. it does get back to its strength. Um, but there's a process in place. And I think for me, the reason why um, I want to champion the mental health is because I had to find everything out myself. Mm. And if I was aware of these things, I don't want anybody to go to that dark place because it was awful Mm. um and if people can help themselves and they know how to do that raising the awareness is the way forward definitely okay i still hear some cynicism i still Mm -hmm. get some eye rolling you know when you mention mental health and you see people who just you know roll their eyes a bit cynical or not not mental health again that kind of thing um is that are there still some challenges ahead for you and there's still some work to do on 
you know, getting that message out there, the positivity about why you should do it. It for me, I see it as insurance or risk management as much as anything. Absolutely. You know, yeah. and, and and a business would insure against risk in other areas. So why wouldn't they insure against risk in mental health and, and staff well being? But you know, there's still a bit of work to do. Yeah, there's still a lot of work to do. And at the moment, it's, it's really good because we've got lots of businesses who want to be above the curve. Mm. And uh, you've got people like Thames Water, you've got uh, people like PwC, Deloitte, Royal Mail. They've all embedded their mental health po- policies frameworks for the last five years. Mm. And they've enjoyed seeing accidents and near misses reduced by 50%. Wow. So this is where we come in. A lot of people wonder why Marsh, as an insurance broker... Um, are looking at uh, mental health. Well, we view it as a people risk, like you right, quite rightly said, but also mm. it's a health part of the health and safety. So under the Working Act 1974, it's Section 2, it says the employer should look after the welfare of their employee. That's a big catch-all phrase, isn't it? Welfare. Absolutely, the yeah. welfare. Now, that doesn't state physical and it doesn't state mental. Now, unfortunately, about four weeks ago, there was a um, a case in France. Now, we do have different employment law. Mm. However, um, the fundamentals would be, you know, uh, the same as in the bullying harassment case with the, the telecoms communication company Orange. Yes. Uh, they found eight uh, suicides and they, uh, there was, I think there was about 18 suicides, but I think they found eight of them liable um, from through bullying harassment. Wow. Now the HSE uh, said two months ago that any businesses that have more than one case of uh, bullying harassment, they will be looking seriously into that now. Uh, whereas before they didn't see it as their way, but if it's part of the health, part of yes. the health and safety, it could affect lots of different things, accidents and near misses in the workplace. Well, you mentioned there about reduction in, in, in accidents and, and near misses. I mean, first of all, that's got a commercial value Absolutely. to a business. So it's not just a, you know, a, a soft thing to, that's where the cynicism comes in. You know, it's just a bit soft or whatever. There's actually a commercial hard-nosed reason why you do it as well, isn't there? So why yeah. why are people not getting on, on, onto that particular sort of agenda, really, I guess? Um, um, I'm going to explore something you say on your LinkedIn profile, that you assist businesses to implement a sustainable mental health and well-being strategy in the workplace. So what does a sustainable um, mental health well-being strategy look like? So what does sustainability fit? Okay, so <coughs> what we're trying to uh, achieve at the moment, and again, we're, we're advising businesses that the government released um, a Thrive and Strive report, which was commissioned by Paul Farmer, the CEO of Mind, mm-hmm. and uh, Lord Stevenson, who used to be a senior uh, exec guy and HBOS. And uh, they came up with a framework for six core standards. If you have more than 500 employees, there's another four enhanced core standards. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've asked the government, because it's a government commission report, that this be in place for every business within the next 10 years. Not just big business? No, all businesses. All businesses will um, benefit from this. Mm. And it's things like, uh, you know, raising awareness. So by uh, doing mental health first aid training and awareness, you cover core two, core three and core five. Mm. Um, Make sure that everybody's fully aware of knowing what to do. Uh, and aware of the mental health strategy that they have in place so they know the procedure. So there's lots of businesses out there which are doing really good things, um, like they might put yogas and they might have fruit baskets, but actually where is the support and help for somebody who is actually struggling at their desk? Yeah. 
so there's two things going on. You will have businesses saying, yes, we do. We, we tackle mental health, but they're actually putting a fruit bowl on. Yeah. And, you well, know, it's kind of not cutting it. If you're not a fruit fan, that's not helping oh, you anyway, so, is it really, yeah. to be fair? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But again, I'm not going to say that they're not, they're making a start. Yeah. And I think... Well, at least, at least, at least they are starting to embrace the idea of it. Whether the execution's right, maybe is a different thing, but you'd have to applaud the, the fact that it's on the radar. I think then it just needs help and guidance from somebody like yourself to... To, to do the right thing, not just do something, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. Because, yeah, that they, they want to do it. And, and the thing is, I think a lot of businesses as well have, have an issue of where it's placed. Is it actually HR? Well, HR mm. do a great job with reactive, mm. whereas I feel it should be under health and safety because it's preventative, it's early intervention, and it's being proactive. Mm. However, they both need to work together. Okay. So, um, and then it has to come down from the leadership team. So once you've got the leadership team buy-in, uh, then it will be able to roll out, and that will be, and it would look like training, uh, mental health first aid training. But it, again, if you do mental health first aid training, you can't just do the training. You have to make sure you're patting down the hatches, so you create policies to make mm. sure that it's defined role of a mental health first aid because it's confidential, because we have the employer's liability. Uh, court cases now where employees can take um, their employer to work at so, court. So if someone feels they've had a breach of confidentiality because of how the policy or procedure's been implemented, then that's something that the, the business needs to be aware of as well. So it's not just the physical aspect of the first aid, it's the policy and procedures that you've mentioned, yeah? Yes, absolutely. You kind of trampled over my next question oh, a little sorry, bit. Don't sorry, worry about yeah. that, Lord, don't worry <laughs> at all. But my next question was about policies and procedures and, and, and the, I guess, the custodians of that. So... I was going to ask who are the best custodians of that from a HR, main board, specialist mental health advisors, health and safety, etc. From your experience, those businesses that are, if you like, trailblazers and setting new standards, where do the, who are the best custodians of the whole mental health agenda? Where does that sit? Is it board level? Um, initially, yeah, to start and, and perhaps get a sponsor yeah. um, to be able to drive it. Um, but we really need to have everybody involved. Mm. But to be able to drive it and make sure that it continues with momentum, uh, because like I said, once you've done all the training, if you do manager training, do mental health first aid training, there needs to be a framework around that and how it's implemented and embedded into the businesses, mm. companies' policies. So the ones that are doing that well, is that the health and safety, the day-to-day -day person or people responsible it, it's, it sits better in health and safety than it does in HR, potentially. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, but also, uh, a lot of it can be, depending on what, how the business sees it, um, but um, some businesses want to be able to measure this, which I, I understand. Mm. It, you know, you're investing in this, uh, the training, so, and you're able to measure it um, by filling out, because the role of mental health aid is confidential. However, you could still fill out like an accident form like you do in a first aid book, yes. um, but a confidential one, but very similar to what you get produced from an employee-assisted programme. Right. So you'll just get the bare details. Um, you get the numbers and the matrix then, don't you, really? And then from that, you're able then to have a real big insight into what's going on in your business. Mm. Uh, whereas before... If you haven't got an open culture for people to talk about mental health, they may be ringing up and say they have headaches and stomach aches. So it's mm. really masking it. 
And what I always advise is that you will definitely see uh, when starting on your journey, probably a spike in re- um, mental health illness being uh, reported. But what you'll see a decline in is, is physical mental health is exactly where you want to be. So I guess it's only it's only going to increase the reporting because of awareness, isn't it? So people are going to report it because they want some initial maybe diagnosis or support or help. But that will tail off, won't it, as people become aware of the fact that it's now managed or manageable or supported by sort of first aid, uh, mental health first aid specialists. Um, So you're going to get a natural spike in anything. You raise awareness of something, people buy into it, don't they, or at least want an assessment. Um, Quick question on, you've touched on things like um, uh, reduction accidents near misses, and we've sort of touched on absenteeism through, you know, stomach aches and things that are not necessarily accurate what are the other commercial or operational or even financial benefits to a company to look at genuinely embedding and embracing mental health awareness okay so um the uh soma analytics um they um are a financial company who look at all of the data Mm -hmm. and they uh, looked at the FTSE 100 businesses and anybody who reported um, more than twice uh, in their and their reporting accounts that they use mental health or well-being, mm. um, re, um, they returned a profit of an increase of three percent. Okay, so that's that's a financial figure. Yeah, um, a lot of tenders, uh, especially in the construction, are asking now before they uh, go ahead with uh, placing the business with them. What are you doing around mental health? I was talking to another guest actually on an earlier podcast, um, uh, Solat Chowdhury from the um, UK and Ireland Centre for Diversity and Inclusion. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that um, there's some legislation from things like public sector bodies that their tier one supply, so your major construction companies, need to have um, a, a policy and an awareness of you know, diversity. And they're now filtering that down to their own supply chains, tier two and, and, and subcontractors, et cetera. So is that now becoming the same with mental health? Absolutely. Yeah, it really is. And that's mainly, um, it's not just mainly construction, actually, but mm. mainly male-dominated businesses because we've got, obviously, um, suicide rates. It's the highest killer in men. The, the, the age ages change all the time, but mm. at the moment it's 40 to 49, but it's the biggest killer in men. It's always a shocking statistic, that, isn't it? When you look at it, that's the biggest... You know, there's, there's so many... You look at it and go, wow, okay. That, 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 that's, those kind of figures have come out of nowhere. They weren't ever talked about before, were they? And they are you know, regularly newsworthy items, and you, know, you see them on the mainstream sort of news channels. And it's, it's a shock, isn't it, that, when you still see those kind of numbers? Well, I was with uh, Ruth uh, Sutherland, the CEO of Samaritans, a few weeks ago mm. to see that, you know, we're doing a great job in raising awareness. But for me, for 2020, I want to be looking at what we can actually do to reduce the risk of, of suicide. Mm. Um, I looked at the Office National Statistics and compared the road traffic accidents from 2000 to 2017 and also the fire fatality. Um, and... Uh, I mean, I can't remember the figures off the top of my head, but it's quite significant difference where mm. um, I think road traffic accident in 2017 is about 1,500 and fire fatality was 333 as opposed to 5,200 suicides. Yeah. But you can see when I look at my graphs, you can see that they both 
road traffic accidents, fire fatalities decrease, yeah. but uh, the suicide just uh, just goes just like a um, a lifeline. I would oh, say, like a, a blip up and down, up and down. It, up absolutely, down, yeah. there's no massive spikes and there's no massive drops. It's quite constant from 2000. Because right. I did have someone challenge me, saying, "Do you not think uh, raising all this awareness is actually causing uh, more people to?" Yeah. So really? yes, I did. Yeah, but I get w- all were, these. Were they rolling their eyes with cynicism at the same time as saying yeah, that then for absolutely. you, Laura? But <laughs> it was very nice to be able to prove. Well, actually, on this graph, no. Yeah. But but the thing is, we need people to challenge like that because they should be able to change and educate people mm. around suicide. Well, I've done quite a bit of work with uh, uh, one particular fire authority in the UK uh, over a 10-year period on different levels of leadership programmes and assessment centres and things. And I, I know that the figures on fire uh, fatalities and road traffic accidents that they actually have to attend have dropped as a result of education, education, mm-hmm. education. So you know, the two are not disconnected in terms of expecting some hopefully in, in improvement in those figures with education and you know communication around the mental health agenda yeah and, and awareness mm. and and also this is a journey we you know um it's the same as uh, in my industry obviously we've seen a lot of um um hearing loss claims asbestos claims and it's only until the event happened then that's when you have to put your your safety in place so again this is after the event yeah and we are trying to uh do the best we can so this is what i said the awareness is one way forward but we need to be looking at other different ways to Mm. do it and you know and the only way we can do that is getting people to talk about it to see which best ways things to do Mm. and ruth was telling me which is quite funny uh, she said that 20 years ago the rail network was told that if anybody was stood on the platform stay away from them but now it's completely opposite because yeah. it's what they know and this is how much it's evolving now. Don't make sure that you go and speak to them, even if it's high, if you've got two minutes, yeah. just go and speak to them because what people need to understand about suicide is they don't actually want to die. They want the emotionally pain, what they're going through, to end. And they want that to die, not themselves. And and sometimes it's, a, it's an intuition at that split-second moment, isn't it? So yes. you can intervene at that level and you can... You can make a difference, like you say. You looked in the eyes of the bus driver and thought, "I can't do it to him, and I can't do it to my little girl." And yes. yeah, they'll go from there. Okay. Well, mental health first year we've talked about. Yeah. But we talked about it being a training sort of uh, accreditation. What does it actually involve? How do you get that recognition, that recognised qualification? What 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 would a business have to go through to get that accreditation, then, Lauren? So uh, we do a two-day course, mm-hmm. um, and I just uh, did one with a colleague uh, the last two days, actually, down Bath. Yeah. Uh, and uh, again, we go around the awareness, we go around the business and the financial reasons for doing it. Um, it's morally right to do. Um, and then it's, it's very similar to physical first aid. Mm. Uh, you're not taught to be a counsellor, you're not taught to be HR, you're not taught to be a psychiatrist. You definitely don't diagnose anybody. It's like a triage. When you go to the hospital, they mm. ask for your name, what seems to be the problem, and then you're able then to, on what they've told you, and from your knowledge and your skill set, what you've learned on the course, be able to say, well, actually, I probably need to speak to the Employee Assisted Programme, or perhaps I need to go to a GP, or whatever stuff we've we've got available. Mm. There's lots of charities there, helpful resources. So that's the first call, and then they're able then to get them the help. You mentioned Employee Assisted Programme. You've mentioned yes. that a couple of times. Is, no, that's fine. Is that... Um, is that a next level commitment then? So you've got your first aid training at the front end, the people that you'd go to or hopefully 
be aware of to talk to as, a, as a, like you say, as a signpost or a, a, a triage specialist. So the, what's, what's the employee uh, programmes that uh, support that then? Yeah, well, um, a, a lot of businesses, uh, and I'm always shocked about this, a lot of businesses buy employee benefits. Mm. And I don't actually realise that they normally get the employee-assisted programme for free. Now, in the 70s, it used to be used for financial and law advice, but now it's used for counselling, so it's professional counsellors. And somebody can get help, uh, ring the line. Within two hours, they'll have a counsellor call them back. They can either have face-to-face counselling or they can have telephone calls or they can have a text, whichever way they want to do this. So, so these are the these are the things that you, you would buy as a normal, you know, like a legal advice helpline. I've seen those, lots of those. Legal advice helpline, HR advice helpline, you know, insurance risk helpline. So it's just another version of that, but it's aimed at sort of staff employee support kind of thing. Well, to be honest, it, it's it's all of them. You've got lots of different helplines. It's normally the, uh, a private company business, but I, I realise uh, councils have it as well. Mm. Uh, and councils offer it all to their um, employers, uh, employees and their families, which is really good. So if they're struggling, they're able to ring this number. Um, but a lot of employees don't know about it because it's not, very well advertised and mm. it's lack of communication in the business uh, I always ask do they know if they've got employee assisted program and half the people say yes half people say no so there does need to be a lot of work and it could be as simple as um, companies printing off the employee assisted program a poster and yeah. putting on the back of the toilet yeah I mean yeah. to be fair it might be embedded in page 6b of the staff handbook yeah. but yeah. you know you you glance through that on your induction day but whoever reads the staff handbook after that I'm going to I'm going to annoy you some HR advisors who are listening and good everybody reads that on a daily basis the answer is they don't so you know if, if they haven't seen it they probably don't know they've got it do they no mm. and the other thing is people can be a little bit cynical about it because mm. they might think well if the employers are um, providing it we'd I don't want all my information information going back to the employer but under GDPR that can't happen anyway mm, yeah. um, but it is a confidential um, and it is a, a confidential line and it's only for that employer the only thing they ask is your name and who you work for and the only reason they ask that is so they can make a file um, but I say if you want to say you're Mickey Mouse say you're Mickey Mouse I work for Mickey Mouse yeah, I work yeah. for Martian my name's Mickey Mouse yeah. if, you, if you're worried about the, the confidentiality around it but they're not allowed to do that they're not allowed to disclose uh, unless Who? they're a threat to themselves obviously yeah, yeah. but that's a, that's the okay. normal thing well listen I always end the podcast you've been really inspirational I think oh, you've, you. I think you've you've probably debunked a few myths for people who are on the cynical eye rolling side of things and hopefully inspired a number of our listeners uh, to look at mental health awareness, mental health first aid training as a genuine item, an agenda item for 2020. Um, but I'd just ask you to share one tip. I always finish with a golden bullet question, really. So one tip with the podcast audience about managing mental health in the workplace. What would be your advice to thinking about an organisation who thinks they want to do a bit more, manage it in a bit better way? What, what would you? What would the starting point be, would you say, Lauren? I think have a look to see um, uh, how many people are interested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when I've been to see businesses, uh, one of their things is they said they don't think that they'd get the, um, they'd get the volunteers. Right. Now, 
what they need to realise is that even though they haven't got, uh, people might not be suffering with the mental health themselves, they may be supporting somebody else. Mm. So Ooh, Interesting, yeah. So, so it might be part of their life or it might not be them. Absolutely, <clears> yes. Yeah. So it does trickle down. So they, yes, yeah, so they may be supporting somebody else as well. Yes. So, um, you know, really get to grips and say, we're, we're having a look at doing an initiative and perhaps uh, putting mental health awareness course on or mental health first aiders and see what type of... Um, um, response you get with the mental health framework and uh, putting in uh, policies around it it can't be done as uh, right this is what we're going to do and like we normally do with procedures it, yeah. it has to be done baby steps it's not a one-size-fits-all either is it no absolutely some people might want to start um, with uh, doing a, a free health organization survey uh, which I can offer that's mm-hmm. not a problem I can send that out to people if they want to do that um, but people might not want to do surveys mm. um or they might want to start with the training and then uh, use mental health first aiders as their actual um people who can go out and keep driving the your momentum ad- your advocates for the whole thing yeah yeah absolutely okay. and there's loads of different ways of doing it there okay. really is and there's lots of things out there i think the thing you also mentioned is get a champion or a sponsor on board early at the high yeah. level in the organization because that will drive i guess funding and and you know agenda and 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 culture on it really absolutely yeah yeah yeah. and i think uh you know some people think they haven't got the culture to support it well they probably haven't at the moment Mm. but as soon as you start putting on different courses or Mm. or having a a, a, an interest in it you'll be amazed how the culture will naturally change Mm. and that's a feedback that i've had of lots of clients who were very much no i don't think it's for us well Give it a try. And, and then, then the founder, actually, wow, I'm surprised by the results. Yeah, they really are. And so we're, uh, there's one uh, business at the moment who I did have a board of directors who were very much, no, it's not for us. So I came and did a two-hour board presentation. Mm. And, and and they were adamant at the beginning of the presentation they wasn't having any. And now I'm up to uh, 75 mental health first aiders trained in the business and over 250 mental health uh, awareness managers trained. And they cannot believe the change in the culture. Uh, Productivity has increased, absenteeism has decreased as well. And it just seems just a better place to work just by doing those initiatives. And here's a final thought for those who are not still embedded with that. It hasn't made them soft, has it? No, definitely not. If anything, it's made a choir, uh, made them an employer of choice. Yeah, excellent. Lorna, that's been absolutely fantastic. Inspirational, as I say. Your contact details will be on the end of the podcast. Okay, um, thank you. Hopefully people will, will, will be inspired to contact you. You're all over LinkedIn, which is uh, <laughs> uh, which is great to see. Uh, and that's just you know, banging the drum and, and raising awareness and championing the cause. So, Lorna Feeney, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for being on the Impact Sessions podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Nick. Thank you very much. No problem. Thank you.